Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst Messrs. Pachiti, Driver, The Jobber, Tweddle, Jennifer are all looking at wrestling of the now here at Cultaholic, we are getting in a Pro Power DeLorean and looking back at Monday Night Raw when it was one hour and chock full of nonsense, as opposed to today where it's three hours and chock full of nonsense. And who be we? I be Tom Campbell, radio presenter, wrestling commentator, general nuisance of Twitter, and I be with Penn off of Cultaholic, the sensational Justin Henry is here as well. Hello, Justin! How you doing today, Tom? I'm doing all good, sir. And how be thee? Well, we're recording this on Monday, August 13th, and as many of you will still realize by Wednesday that, that today was the day that we lost one of the all-time greats and one of the most underrated performers in all the professional wrestling, that being Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Absolutely. What a, what a, what a sad news that we had this afternoon, losing the Anvil. Um, obviously, more to come as to kind of what happened. I don't think that is out there yet. I don't think that's really prevalent. I think what we should all be doing now is reflecting on our own uh, personal memories of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And Justin, I know as a fan of the Anvil, not only have you got a an amazing retrospective piece at cultaholic.com, but you've got your own memories too. Uh, yes, the retrospective piece that I just published about an hour before this recording uh, I reflected on just how important he was not only a, a, as an individual performer, but to the career of his longtime tag team partner, Brett the Hitman Hart. And I actually argue in the article that if it weren't for Neidhart, that Brett's career would not have gone the same way no matter how technically sound he was in the ring and just how great he was as a performer, that it was the Hart Foundation that gave Brett the avenue to stand out in the first place. And I also know how how Brett and, Ian, how Brett and Neidhart basically – how they complemented each other, but also contrasted each other. And no tag team did it as well as they did in terms of being different, but also being on the same page at the same time. I think they're the ultimate opposites of track tag team. And that's something that, you know, the more Heart Foundation matches you watch, the more that becomes very, very evident. And as far as, as far as a great memory of Jim Neidhart, I was six years old when I attended SummerSlam 1990 in Philadelphia. And, the tag team title match between the Hearts challenging against Demolition. To me, that's one of the all-time underrated SummerSlam matches, just for the crowd heat, the timing on everything. If you've never seen the match, I won't spoil too much about it and take away some of the magic in case you are playing to watch it. But let's just say, well, it was a two out of three falls match, and the final fall 
in terms of how everything came together just seamlessly, how, how every ensuing spot played out, how the tide kept turning. It really was something else, and, and Jim Nahart was a big part of why that match was so special. Everybody played their part. But that's what I think of when I think of the Anvil is matches like that with Brett and against the likes of the Rockers, the British Bulldogs, the Rougeos, and even Nyhart's teaming with Owen as, as the new foundation. Another really underrated match was them versus the Orient Express at the 1992 Royal Rumble in Albany. It was just a tremendous opening match. It was like 17 or 18 minutes long. And it was like watching old school Hart Foundation, except this time Brett was much more nimble in the form of Owen. So when I think of Nyhart, I think of one of the preeminent tag team wrestlers of the past several generations. You see, when I look back on the life and time of Jim the Anvil Neidhart, I personally remember the night that he beat Goldberg, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan in the same night. Wait, what? Uh, this was uh, uh, on WCW NWO Revenge. And oh. um, my friend Ian came over to my house after school because I'd recently got the game. And I thought I'd give him an advantage, and I'd play as Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who I'd never played as before. And he played as Goldberg, and Goldberg very quickly fell to Jim Neidhart. He then plays Kevin Nash, who very quickly fell to Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And then Hulk Hogan, who very quickly fell to the power of Jim the Anvil Neidhart, at which point he threw the control down and never came to my house again. So I'd like to thank Jim the Anvil Neidhart for that personal memory and uh, destroying a friendship between myself and my friend Ian uh, on one very cold Wednesday afternoon after school. So you never made up after that over a video I, game? I think we talked about it many years later. We, we, we we're fine now. The, the wounds have healed. Uh, and thankfully, Jim Nida hasn't been in a wrestling game properly since. I think he was in a, one of the SmackDown games. Now I think about it, maybe, possibly. Um, actually, actually, he's been on like every single 2K games like the last several years. Oh well, that shuts uh, me up then. <laughs> as one of the as one of the legends characters, so I, I always got to pair up him and Brett and beat like the revival with them and you know just whoever else like um, Sanity like what DIY whatever tag teams there are today. No one can match up to the hearts. Well, tonight I'm sure. Um... We will all be playing as Jim Neidhart in 2K18, or if not, WCW NWO Revenge. Yeah, so do you have any fond memories of Neidhart as the human instead of video game sprite? <laughs> um, I always thought his... I remember his WrestleMania promo for the Nasty Boys at WrestleMania 7. And obviously, <laughs> whenever they promo together, Brett and Neidhart... <laughs> They were super cool characters. Brett was always super cool. And Jim was just wired. Just <clears throat> wired. And he did this whole bit where he was addressing the Nasty Boys saying, you want to break the foundation? You say you want to crack the foundation? Well, to crack the foundation, you got to be right at the bottom. And that's where you are. And it was just really, it brought it alive. Brett Hart very, didn't have many. And and there's there are some but not as many as you would like standout moments in promos for a wrestling mm -hmm. career. There are some, and there are some great ones, but Neidhart, for me, stole that promo from Bret Hart that night mm -hmm. at WrestleMania 7. Yeah. One thing that just came to mind when you talk about that promo was in the Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows documentary. I can't remember what event was. It had to be Canadian Stampede. 
they had a behind the scenes where Brett was talking to Nyhart about what they were going to talk about in the pre-match promo. And it was so weird to hear Jim Nyhart talking in his norm in his normal, casual, everyday voice. It, it was a lot richer and smoother than just his maniacal yelling. And you're like, you know, uh, this is Jim the Anvil. Not, well, I'm, I'm not doing the exact voice, but that sort of cadence where it's a lot smoother. So Brett's so Brett's talking about how how to use a line like, you know. We're gonna get hungry and forget our manners. Like he was suggesting that the Nightheart about the five opponents in question, and not, and not her ads, and we'll leave no man untested. And then they, and then they combined the two. And Brett says, "We're gonna get hungry and leave no man untested." And then they just start busting out laughing, like, "No, that doesn't sound right." <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was cool to see Jim Nightheart just be casual Jim instead of just the Anvil all the time. Just seeing the contrast and how he is outside the ring as opposed to when he's you know the loose screw half of the hearts it was a very rare insight into the man and and he will very much be missed uh as we record this as we said on the day that uh, jim the anvil Nightheart left us ignore that tom 854 she's, time count time stab she's, cut that bit out she's still got it going on hashtag fake news Okay, Stacey's you... mom is fake news and she's still very... Oh, geez, wow, she really does have it going on. Okay, I'm going to just save that later on. I've got a podcast to do. Okay, you want to, you want to bring us back in? Yes. Okay. okay. So with uh, so we we marked the passage. Jim Neidhart passed away today. Let's go back in time. Let's go back to 1993 to Monday Night Raw. Justin, where are we this week? We're in the same place we have always been. We're... This time live from the Manhattan Center on Monday, February 22nd, 1993. We're coming on the heels of WCW Super Brawl 3, which was a great pay-per-view. Sting versus Vader in the White Castle of Fear strap match. Uh, the Heavenly Bodies versus the Rock and Roll Express. Chris Benoit versus Two Cold Scorpio. Just a tremendous, tremendous show. And this episode of Raw, uh, not so much. Well, it certainly sounded like they were they were levering they were levering it towards being a big night because obviously the return of Hulk Hogan and and <laughs> the Undertaker is going to be on the show. More on that as we get to it. Um, but they kind of stacked it with those two lads, so they're obviously aware that Super Brawl was good. Well, more or less, it was it was all about bringing Hogan in in order to you know spruce up WrestleMania nine by by it went from being a WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan to. Goddamn, pal, we got to get Hulk onto the show somehow. So they put a lot into the Hogan basket here. A lot of eggs in that Hogan basket. Do you know what frightened me at the start of this episode of Monday Night Raw? Rob Bartlett clean shaven. That plus Rob Bartlett on his own. Oh, that's... I thought, why? Why is he on his... Where are the other two? Please don't tell me this is Rob Bartlett, Joey Styles in it. I can't bear it. I think think I'll cry. Well, remember what we said last week about how Vince and Bartlett together minus Savage was actually passable. It actually was not terrible that Bartlett kind of found his voice when he wasn't gasping for air alongside Savage. What yeah, Bartlett... I think maybe one-on-one, yeah, together, but not on his own. Well, hell, we don't know that. What if Rob Bartlett on his own was like Joey Styles in 1995? We don't know. He could have found his calling as just... It's true, but then at the same time, I don't know. I don't legitimately know if drinking bleach will kill me, but I don't really (laughs) want to try it in the unlikely event that it does. But but hold on here, hold on. What if Rob Bartlett, if he's not trying to make Vince laugh and is just trying to amuse himself in the audience, 
was able to find his voice. What if he was funny then? I mean, you're welcome to fantasy book that, Justin. Um, I, okay, are you a Rob Bartlett fan, Justin? Because you are, as the weeks go on, when me and thee spend more and more time together, you are becoming a bit of a Rob Bartlett apologist. Not so. It's not so much an apologist. It's just watching it now with fresher ears and a different perspective. I do see how he struggled, and I could see why he'd be trying to impress Vince the way that he was, you know, with his knowledge of current events and trying to bring that different voice that Vince apparently coveted to the broadcast table. But Vince is doing him no favors because he has no idea how to sell the jokes. And I'm not saying they're great jokes. I'm not no Bartlett apologist in that sense, but it's it was a mismatch. And Bartlett was out was out of his element. He was a freshwater fish in salt water. <laughs> That's a wonderful way of describing him. God bless him. Um, and, but it, he, look, this isn't the night where we find out if Rob Bartlett can swim on his own as a fish in salt uh, water. Uh, because oh no, Vincent he, he drowned a few up. times over. He he drowned several times over while Vince Rose sits on the plank of wood and he freezes to death in the cold Atlantic. Set. On several occasions, he comes back to life just to freeze to death again. It's a lot of freezing to death and no boats coming to save him. No. Uh, Vince and Savage turn up. So we've got a three-man team. It's all fine. And we've got a massive Hulk Hogan banner hand-drawn on a duvet. That's nice. Now, by duvet, you mean like bedsheet, right? Yeah, bedsheet, sorry. Yeah, it's not so much. Bringing a duvet into the Manhattan Center, would would you die of heat exhaustion? And besides, um, I'm not sure if fans of the Manhattan Center know what a duvet even is based on how Rob Bartlett treated them in the cold opening when he mocked fans for, for apparently being able how to spell correctly, which that's what you want to have when your broadcast when wrestling has a negative image. It's one of your commentators letting you know that wrestling fans are illiterate morons. But he was the Dixie Carter before Dixie Carter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, Randy Savage is just so happy that Hulk Hogan is here. I mean, he is over the moon, tickled pink, that Hulk Hogan, who, if you remember, well, something's going to happen eight months from now on an episode of Raw when Savage goes on an unrestrained tirade about what an awful person Hulk Hogan is. So to hear Savage at this point tell you about how amazing Hogan is, he's here, we're happy he's here, Hulkamania brothers running wild again, it's it's pretty comical. They had a really up and down friendship though, didn't they, Hogan and Savage? They were mates for a little while, then they hated each other, then they were mates, then they despised each other, then they loved each other. It was a relationship, friendship built on mutual um, mutual mutual success. If the one was doing well because of the other, then they were all super super bedfellows. I have a working theory that Undertaker and Kane's friendship slash feud slash friendship was based on Hogan and Savage. <laughs> I mean, you're not far wrong. To be fair, yes, Savage died in the funeral home fire, and he came back with a mask to get revenge on Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorical funeral fire. Better known. That's w- got to be Randy. WCW be 1998. Randy. Oh yeah, brother! I'm gonna burn you to death. I'm gonna yeah. burn you alive, brother. <laughs> so who'd be Paul Bearer, Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! Because now I'm thinking about Paul Bearer taking his dress off. No, no. <laughs> 
Ric Flair with those big pieces of Paul Bearer hanging above the Hoosier Dome. <laughs> no! Can you... Well, 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 go the opposite way. Imagine Kim the voice box. You've got lost in your eyes for Paul Bearer. <laughs> oh, God. The Attitude Era has now been ruined. <laughs> more so. Oh, more... Oh, my days. Um... Well, would the buy rate for WrestleMania five have been better or worse than what it was had they gone that route? Oh, um, I think worse. <laughs> Personally, nobody would know quite what to do. <laughs> quite literally, nobody would have any idea. Oh. So how about we move on to the first match, which was actually quite pleasant, unless you were Scott Taylor. Scotty Too Hotty on Monday Night Raw, back when he was Scotty Quite Lukewarmy. Scott Taylor is, a, is the unfortunate victim on this show of one Bam Bam Bigelow. And Bam Bam is so laser-focused on beating the crap out of Scott Taylor that he doesn't even acknowledge the high-haired ring girl that walks past him in a very tight red dress. So that's how you know Bam Bam's a professional. And Bam Bam is also... I mean, obviously, he's no longer with us, but he never seemed to age in wrestling. He looked the same here as he did in the in the eighties and the and in the late eighties. He's like Frau Farbissner in a flame print bodysuit. That is amazing. That is very true. He does. And so, Batman Bigelow versus Scott Taylor. Barlett, make sure to ask if Taylor is just some guy off the street, which in '93 he may as well be. But see, he asked that question because Taylor didn't look like a wrestler in his eyes, which is why Rob Barlett should probably should have been hired in talent relations instead of being an announcer based on what how Vince saw potential wrestlers and such. Yeah, I mean, anything to not have Rob Bartlett on Carpentry would be fine. I mean, talent relations <laughs> is, is, is as good as anything else. <laughs> and this crowd loved Bam Bam. Like, oh, didn't really loved Bam Bam. Maybe it's because Asbury Park is up in North Jersey, or I should say Central Jersey, which is somewhat close to New York City. But my God, the New York City loved their Bam Bam. And he was amazing in this match, uh, just decimating Scott Taylor. What annoys me is we are still on the commentary table trying to get over this uncut, uncooked, uncensored line where each Vince, Rob, and Randy each say a word. And mm-hmm. it's really annoying. And even later on in the night, Vince McMahon sort of bottles it halfway through saying it. There's just no yes, commitment does. to this really bad slogan. They have no rhythm for getting this catchphrase over whatsoever. At one point in this match, Scott Taylor manages to climb on the Bam Bam's shoulders in order to attempt possibly a victory roll. Maybe he's going to spin into a Hurricane Rana. But either way, he's shown some gamesmanship by getting up on Bam Bam's shoulders. But once you know, Bam Bam just drops back and he kills Scott Taylor with his electric chair drop. I mean, he thuds when he hits the mat. And it, I've got to say, it was a bona, mm-hmm, it was, it was a bona fide to... kill shot. Oh, it was it was ridiculous. I've never seen Bam Bam do this other than this match, and maybe I'm just remembering wrong. But he hits the "Welcome to Chicago, Mother Effer" backbreaker on Scott Taylor. Is that what it's called, so, really? Well, I think I think CM Punk's done that move in Ring of Honor, and that's what and the crowd would actually yell that when he'd hit it. The nice. double underhook, double underhook lift into a front backbreaker. I prefer what Vince McMahon calls it. Yeah, what do he call it again? What a maneuver! Ah, yes. 
<laughs> he calls a lot of moves what a maneuver. It's one of his many what a maneuvers. It's a freaking uppercut, Vince. <laughs> what a maneuver! So we get kind of a strange finish here. Bam goes for his patented diving headbutt from about 60% of the way from across the ring. I th- he appears to hit it, but then he gets back up, hits a standing falling headbutt from from the canvas, and then he climbs the opposite buckle and hits a second diving headbutt for the finish. Now, I've got a theory on this. Okay. I think that Bam Bam misjudged how far Scotty was away from him, and he was already on the ascent, so he was like, I've just got to do it. And you see the way that the camera cuts as Bam Bam's in midair. It cuts to an angle that easily, had Bam Bam missed it, it wouldn't have picked it up. It looked like he nailed it perfectly. But Bam Bam obviously doesn't know that. So Bam Bam's hit the ground and thought, oh, I've completely blown that. I'm going to I'm gonna give that another run-up. Hence why he went to the other side of the ring and, and hit it properly. I think Bam Bam thought he messed it up. Where, if anything, because of the extra extra good camera work and direction of Kevin Dunn, it looked like Bam Bam cleared the god darn ring to, to headbutt <laughs> Scott Taylor. I was about to say, I didn't see anything error-wise that would have made him want to re- redo the movement. And even then, it wasn't even a tape show, so it wasn't like he could say, all right, we'll just edit that in post, and then we'll, uh, I'll, hit the, I'll hit the headbutt for real this time, and, and, and all will be well. So there was nothing to like, blend together or anything. It was just he just hit, he hit the guy with three headbutts, two from the top rope and one from a standing position. So it, it worked out as just an overkill, basically. This was fun. This was a fun match. Certainly made Bam Bam Bigelow just look like a star. It was sort of like these Steiner Brothers squashes where they just kill guys and Bam Bam did the same thing to poor Scott Taylor, just chewed him up and spit him out. That's what a squash should be. Exactly. Uh, Vince McMahon throws it to Vince McMahon, who is backstage with Hulk Hogan from earlier today. Ooh, this was something. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> you see, kids, for those of you who don't remember, 
Hulk Hogan kind of had a tarnished image in the early to mid-90s, and the decline of WWE around 1991 has very much to do with, uh, with the big hit his public image had taken. Just a real quick story here. Hogan had gone on Arsenio Hall in July 1991, which is a late-night talk show, for those of you who don't know. And he was being questioned about steroids and wrestling, particularly any personal use that he may have done. Because at the time, a man by the name of Dr. George Zahorian had just been convicted of, uh, of illegally prescribing steroids to wrestlers and was serving a several-year prison sentence. And, uh, and he was the official doctor at, at many TV tapings for WWE throughout the 80s. And uh, their association with Zahorian was was really threatened to hurt WWE in a lot of ways. So they sent Hogan on to Arsenio Hall in a bit of a damage control interview to kind of... Well, according to Bret Hart's book, he said that Hogan was told by Vince to lie about steroid use on the show. That Vince ordered him to not be very truthful about it. And Hogan, well, through the course of his interview, it's very clear that he's not the... He's not the pristine superhero for children the world over that WWE would like you to think he was. And that wasn't a good look for him. Absolutely not. So there was a little bit of um, a little bit of damage control in this interview, wasn't there? Or an attempt at it. I mean, if Hulk Hogan had come out and said, I took steroids and looked the way I do, nobody's going to gasp. Nobody with half a brain anyway is going to be like, <gasps> Why, this whole time I thought I thought it was just working out four hours a day. And, I thought it was just saying and, your prayers and taking your training and eating your vitamins. And, and, and believing in yourself, the fourth amendment. Oh, yes, because so, he gives us new ones later on, doesn't he? Yes, he, he does introduce a, a few new demandments in the course of this interview. But uh, Hogan went away after WrestleMania 8. And uh, he, he was looking thin then. He comes back now. He looks even thinner. You know, Hulk's lost a lot of weight in order to help with his mobility and endurance through matches. Wink, wink. So, Hogan's doing this interview with Vince. Backstage, there's no TV cameras. There's no no, no audience of any sort. It's just those two for a sit-down interview. And they're getting the hard questions out of the way here, as opposed to in front of the, in front of the live audience. And when I say hard questions, I mean... Well, let's put it this way. I'll, I'll go through my notes here, and I'll see what I wrote down. Hogan, Hogan is wearing an Iker Pro shirt for this interview, which is kind of comical. There are photos of Hulk hanging in the background of him looking much more muscular than he is in February 1993. Hogan admits he's made mistakes, but he doesn't specify what mistakes. He may have sold plutonium to a foreign power. We don't know. We don't know what Hulk, Hulk's mistakes are. He uses the phrase tabloid terrorism, which is quite which is quite an interesting alliteration i must say yeah that was quite a powerful word that feels like uh, the 1990s version of fake news yeah although i will say i i wrote down this exact phrase of his and i'll, I'll be damned if hawk isn't at least right about this to a certain degree maybe not in regards to himself but i you do see a lot of this in media now and he is right about this much he says People, dw people who dwell on the negatives dig up any dirt they can, and even if the allegations are false, they report them anyway. And you got to admit, I'm not saying that that thing applies to what Hogan was discussing here, but you do see a lot of that in the world today. 
that is a little more prevalent. Very true. <laughs> it's it's more yeah, I agree. More prevalent than ever that tabloids and such are keen to bring people down rather than push them up. It is a clickbait society, and bad news sells. If it bleeds, it leads. He encourages fans to do as he does, which I assume means stop. You know, leave WWE as soon as he leaves the company, since it's, since attendances and TV ratings plummeted throughout '93. But Hulk makes sure to plug the upcoming interview he's going to do on Raw, which is going to be a lot more livelier and feature a lot more happiness than what we're seeing here, as Hulk has confessed to doing something we just don't know what it is. I mean, we know what it is, but Hulk damn sure didn't tell us what it was. And that ends this most uncomfortable part of Monday Night Raw to date, other than Rob Bartlett's commentary. Uh, in that bit, uh, Hulk Hogan adds some new demandments, which now makes it train, say your prayers, take your vitamins, believe in yourself, and more importantly, believe in Hulk Hogan. Which seems a very arrogant set of demandments. Yes, it's that thou shalt not create false, false idols because I am the only real idol. That's what it is, isn't it? That's what it is. Don't believe anyone other than me. Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit religiousy. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit culty. That I'm cultaholic. Join us. It's a bit culty. Yeah, don't believe in false idols. Adam is our only real idol. Exactly. The only leader that you should know is Adam Pacitti. Um, <laughs> yes, Adam and twelve of us are going to leave on a Friday afternoon, and then we're going to never mind. Um, <laughs> Train. I, I've I've had a think. Uh, I've got two other demandments to replace those two that aren't as aren't as religious and culty, um, which is train, say your prayers, take your vitamins, empty the dishwasher, and tip the barman. Those are my five demandments in life. I can't imagine Hulk Hogan washing dishes. Although, he'll probably do it in a very Hulk Hogan-esque fashion. <laughs> these grease stains, brother, just don't come out. I'm going to put pasta all over these dishes, brother. <laughs> he knows Cell starts pointing at the plate. The plate waves its hands and shakes its head in fear. Well, the thing is, Bret Hart was meant to empty the dishwasher. And uh, he was all geared up to empty the dishwasher until... Uh, Hulk Hogan stepped in and went, don't worry, brother, I'm going to empty the dishwasher. And all people saw who lived in the same house as them was Hulk Hogan emptying the dishwasher at the end of the day and going, well done, Hogan. Great job emptying the dishwasher. And Hogan was like, don't worry, Brett, you can empty the dishwasher in a few months' time at King of the Ring. And it... <laughs> this, this evil Japanese dishwasher, it was made in San Francisco. See, I told you, Japan. <laughs> This dishwasher is just a trinket compared to my New Japan Championship. <laughs> Wait, I never made that connection. Hogan hated the evil Japanese wrestler Yokozuna, so after he beat him, he went over to, he went over to Japan to conquer the, their actual wrestlers from Japan. I like to think that I, I really wanted Hulk Hogan to go over to Japan and just start start accusing them all of being Samoan. <laughs> <laughs> See, Yokozuna was the Iggy Koopa to Masachono's Bowser. I guess Bull Nakano would be Wendy Cooper. <laughs> on Bull Nakano would be a brilliant Wendy Cooper. <laughs> I'd bet on Bull to win that fight. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Uh, but hey, everyone's excited that Hulk Hogan's back, Justin. Are you excited Especially... that Hulk Hogan's back? Yeah. I am I'm, I'm as excited as Randy Savage is. I'm tickled pink that Hogan is back, brother. Did I mention that Hulk Hogan's back? 
I'm surprised they didn't edit the upcoming Slim Jim commercial to feature Savage dubbing over lines. You know, excitement, Hulk Hogan's back, dig it. <laughs> so he had, uh, off the back of the Hulk Hogan uh, apology speech, a six-man tag. And a pretty good one, too, actually. It was Tatanka and the Nasty Boys, which is quite the interesting trio when you think about their gimmicks, taking on Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels and the Beverly Brothers. Three Intercontinental Championships and four World Championships in that ring right now. All of them Shawn Michaels. Yes. <laughs> Every single one of them Shawn Michaels. Although the Nasties did have one reign as tag team champions and a pretty decent one of that. Tis true, but all the singles belts, all the singles accomplishments from Shawn Michaels at this point. It was a different era. You got you to gotta, gotta realize that. I think this no, is first... Tatanka should have been WWF champion. Eh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Not relatable, very debatable. I think this is one of the early appearances of Shawn's music in which he sings it instead of Sherry. A song that was... Song that endorsed to this day whenever Shawn Michaels shows up. It's so much better. It is so much better. With all due respect to Sensational Sherry, whom we adore. Yeah, exactly, but it is so much better. <laughs> it is. Although Shawn's ensemble here golden vest and chaps, white and red tights, turquoise belt strap. It's certainly a look. There are, I mean, there are worse looks on this episode of Raw alone. There are much worse looks. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I know to what you're referring, but we'll wait till we get to that point. Two things here. One, five of the six men in this match were in AWA before. Oh. The Nasty Boys, Michaels, and the Beverlys were once known as the Destruction Crew. Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. And the other is, if you look at Bo Beverly carefully... He looks like a swapped color palette version of Mike Rotunda. <laughs> He's like the alternative attire on a wrestling game. If you press, yeah. if you press uh, C right on No Mercy, you get He's that. The Jim- He's the Jimmy Lee to IRS's Billy Lee. It's the same face, just with blonde hair. Is there a definitive way that we can tell the difference between Blake and Bo Beverly? Uh, Bo has a mustache. There Sorry, we Blake, go. Blip. Blake has the mustache. My, my mistake. See, even you don't know. Because it's alliterative. I, I messed up. They both start with a B. My bad. <laughs> or, or, or as Bobby Heenan would say, Bo's the one with the long tights. <laughs> so early in this match, Sean takes this wild-ass backdrop out of the ring. I mean, he, he, he gets some serious hang time off of this. Lands hard on the floor, and his legs end up on the announce table as, yeah, as he tumbleweeds no. over. Bartlett can't get over this. Bartlett's like, I haven't seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> well, it, 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 was, it definitely was a unique bump. I mean, in what other sports do players end up on the announce table at some juncture? I've seen some very competitive Skittles games at the social club. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld made a point once. He said wrestling is the only sport in which competitors are thrown into the audience and nobody thinks anything unusual is happening. That's very true. <laughs> in fact, says, even it, like a wrestling game that doesn't have go into the crowd options is a bad wrestling game as far as people are concerned. Yes. You said, if you're watching a golf tournament and Jack Nicholson goes flying over your head, I'm sorry, Jack Nichols goes flying over your head, first off, I'd say you're watching a very competitive golf tournament. 
he's, he's got a point. So it's like, what other sport does that? Have? Well, maybe baseball. If somebody's going for like a home run ball and then trying to catch it before it goes out of the park, and they go tumbling over. I mean, maybe, but not thrown into the crowd by a by a rival player. That's very true. That's very true. Only wrestling gets away with that kind of nonsense. Yes, that is why we love professional wrestling. Uh, it was here that Vince blew the catchphrase, and Savage had to bail him out. Uncut, uncensored, and he forgot the third word, so Savage had to help him along. I'm hoping that's the end of it now. If Vince goes, do you know what? I can't get this right. I have no one that's doing it. I hope that's the end of it now, because it's a rubbish catchphrase. No, I, I can tell you right now, spoiler, it is not, because Bobby oh, Heenan bundles on Oh, flipping heck. <laughs> because Bobby bungles it on a future episode. I'm pretty sure it, it was like an episode in May, so we got several more months to go with this. There's a spot in this match where Brian Knobs is thrown into the ropes, and Bo Beverly pulls the rope down so that he falls over, right in front of referee Bill Alfonso, who has to pretend he doesn't even see it. Like I mean, like, it literally happened right in front of him. It, it was like pulling a gun on somebody with a cop standing two feet away, and, and they have to pretend that they didn't see what happened. It's always unfortunate when refs have to literally just turn a blind eye if they're, if they're slightly in the wrong place, they have to act like they've not seen anything, like they are the biggest idiots on the planet. Still happens to this day, which is quite nice. Yeah, timing was a bit off there. But even, but that gives way to a brawl on the outside in which which the ring steps get knocked over, and we learn that they're not metal steps at all, even though they are wooden steps painted to look like metal steps because they have a wooden frame underneath of it that's holding it together. Like, the, like this wooden X frame. <laughs> that was amazing. Like this day and age, imagine that. The crowd would just would be all over that. Exactly. That looks wooden. <laughs> that looks wooden. Yes, they chant that at Jack sometimes. <laughs> hey! But I boom. Good night everybody. <laughs> There's a spot in this match where, where someone kicks Sean in the face. I want to say it was Brian Nobbs. And Vince was delighted by this development. He goes, I kick right to the mush. Ha-ha! <laughs> like, yeah, why was he so happy about Shawn Michaels getting kicked to the face? Because he knew that he and Shawn were going to fight in 13 years at WrestleMania. Ah, uh, it was a planting of the seed. There are two people that wrestle on this show that Vince faced at WrestleMania. Hogan and Shawn. You know, you know how weird that is in hindsight? And Brett wasn't even on this show, so that... He, he would have been the third guy. Vince faced all three of them at WrestleMania. And on top of that, he faced his own son as well. If you had oh, told me in 1993 that that was going to happen one day, wouldn't <laughs> I, have believed I would have just laughed. No, would not have believed you. So Tatanka tags in. He could not be more excited that he's in the match. He's doing the war dance. The crowd is doing the, shall we say, the war cry, you know, mimicking it, which is um, probably upset a few people today if, if that were the case. He gets an anticlimactic renegade drop on Sean. Vince really bungles the count because one of the Beverly's breaks it up. He goes, was that three? Yes, that was three. Meanwhile, all six guys are brawling by the time he's still going on about it being a pinfall. So Vince is apparently on on, on time delay here. Meanwhile, Rob Bartlett is questioning the illegality of having six guys in the ring, which means he's, he's kind of paying attention to what's going on. He's kind of getting a clue as to how pro wrestling in its fundamental form works. Which is reassuring to hear. Yes, it is. And the finish is Tatanka countering Sean's teardrop suplex into a sunset flip for the pin. This was a decent match. 
Yeah, I think it was one of my favourite matches on Raw so far. Like, a lot of momentum for Tatanka going into WrestleMania, which was nice to see. Nasty boys are always a bit weird as baby faces, but they play off against the Beverlies nicely, so it was it was it was good fun six man shenanigans. Just a nice basic match to get over the Sean Tatanka feud. Kinda of sad we didn't get like the Nasties versus the Beverlies at Mania just for some undercard throwaway action. Yeah, there could have been a bit more with that. I think they that's such a nice feud. They could have done more with that, I do believe. I mean, I mean, it makes the most sense. You have two, you have two prissy, pretty boys from Ohio. You have two guys who love to shove faces into their armpits. So it would have made sense. You, know, you could have drawn a, I'm not saying drawn, but you could have gotten the crowd into it by, by having two spoon-fed, uh, stuck-up guys. You know, get beat up by a couple of lovable slobs. It's it's it writes itself. It truly does. Hey, Sean Mooney's still outside. Yes, nobody's let him in yet. <laughs> and he's in the same clothes. I think he's homeless. He's holding a cardboard sign. We'll interview for food. I think he's homeless. Yeah. He's just wearing the same clothes he's worn for weeks. He's been outside the Manhattan Center for weeks. I think Sean Mooney's homeless. Maybe it's actually Ian Mooney. Is that his brother? Yes, his twin brother, Ian. Oh, my yeah. God. Maybe Sean stepped out and Ian stepped in. We don't know. <laughs> so he's doing the man on the street bit where he's interviewing a crowd of people. And sadly, this made me really sad because he's asking about Hulk Hogan. And he finds two people who give intelligent enough responses. I always hope for the out of control, I'm happy to be on TV, incoherent idiot. Because those are always great comic fodder. But no, they found two guys who gave pretty, uh, you know, pretty pretty smart enough testimonies about Hogan's return. And I was kind of saddened by that. I, yeah, most times when they go to the crowd and, and do you know what British, British wrestling fans, when WWE comes to the UK are notorious for this, when they'll go, who's going to win tonight? And they'll go up and down the line and it'll be like, Bret Hart's going to win. Cause he's the best there is the best. There was the best there ever will be. Oh, Shawn Michaels going to win because he's the heartbreak kid. And one woman, famously, at No Mercy 1999, who went, the big show's going to win because he's with The Undertaker. <laughs> the biblical sense? I, I wasn't, she, didn't, she didn't elaborate. <laughs> I think my favorite one of all time was WrestleMania 6 when I'm pretty sure it was Mooney interviewing some kid in the crowd about rhythm and blues. And he's sitting with his dad who looks like He'd be anywhere else except the wrestling show, just all dressed up, beard, glasses, looks like a science teacher. And this kid, who I, at 28 years of his age, probably like mid-30s by now, he was such a dork. He was like, I can't sing or dance or do nothing. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's who you interview. That's the person you look for. It's the person that will leave an indelible mark on the people watching the show. And it'll be imitated forever. Like the kid from SummerSlam 92. The British Bulldog is going to win whether he wants to or not. Oh my God, I forgot about that one. The Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. That, that's, that's the all-time champ. Cuts a Bulldog backstage going, thing is, I don't want to win. <laughs> I, I don't need the money that badly. I, I really I, don't want to win. I don't, I'm not bothered about winning, to be honest. Because I'm, I'm bizarre. Really I don't, I don't want to headline the, the B-Shows as Intercontinental Champion. That's okay. Brett can do that. <laughs> I forgot about that. The Bulldog's going to win. Where they... 
Oh God! Why are we? Why? Why are we British wrestling fans such idiots on the spot? We are, and I'm guilty of it as well. I'm guilty of it. I was on uh, name drop. I was on Sugar Dunkerton's Instagram story the other week. Go on. I've been hanging out. Uh, I do stuff for 3CW, and Sugar Dunkerton has been a part of 3CW. And do you know what? What a boy. Blooming love Sugar Dunkerton. Great guy. <laughs> just just fun. Fun and fun. And um it was we were doing a show in Middlesbrough and it was the day that England went through to the semi-finals. And uh I'd walk past Sugar as he was filming a crowd of people singing and dancing. So I was just stood next to Sugar and I just and I just went, This is normal for Middlesbrough on a Saturday. And then he turned the camera around to me and he said, uh he said, what's going on then, Tom? And I just went, it's coming home. I was like, why did I say it's coming home? I could have said something really funny and clever and insightful in the company of Barack Obama, Sugar Dunkerton. But no, I decided just to say the most blatant thing ever. And it makes me so sad that there is somewhere floating around the internet just one, one, one second of video of me and Sugar Dunkerton. And I look like... British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. I look like him. <laughs> well, you watch shows with like game show bloopers and you laugh at them because it's like, who will come up with such stupid responses to the questions on these shows? But then you realize the pressure there is when you know the cameras are on you and they expect an answer out of you and who knows what you're going to say in those situations. It's, it happens to all of us. Oh, and... the, pre- the, pressure, the pressure is great. I wrote... I wrote um... For for this match that we that I called last night, um, it was a dog collar match, and I was doing live commentary, and I'd written this line that said, "Every time these guys get together, they want to destroy each other. So instead of keeping them apart, we are bringing them closer together to let them do that." And I thought that's a really cool line. I thought I'm going to use that. Stood straight down the camera and went, "All these guys want to do is be with each other." <laughs> To which the crowd all went, ooh! <laughs> like, way to go! I've just killed all the heat of a dog collar match. Yes. And who are we to stop the weird. natural order? And who are we to stop the natural order of things? Let's just get out of their way and let them <laughs> let them do what comes naturally to them. Oh, if, if any of my friends from 3CW are listening, or if Screwface or Chris Renfrew are listening, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. We jump up to the Crush versus Terrific Terry Taylor match, and I hate to bring this down here because we're having such a, a lively conversation. Yeah, that's fine. But this, but this is a callback to last week. We talked about the action figure ad that had the Carrie Von Erich figure in it. Yep, I wrote this down as well. Yeah, they re-aired it, and this was four days after the passing of Carrie Von Erich, and they're still hawking his action figure in, in an obviously pre-taped commercial because Davey Boy Smith is in it, and he's been gone for three months. So that's a, a little bit eerie. And the fact that there's been no mention on TV, as far as we yes. know, of the, the passing of Kerry Von Erich. I, I don't believe we're getting any either, nor, nor will there be one for Dino Bravo the following month. Is it because of the way that he died? I think there's that, and it was just less compelling at the time to maybe put somebody over in passing. I mean, Brian Pillman was different because he was on the roster and he was going to be on that show. Oh, but the Brian Pillman thing is the complete other end of the extreme. The Brian Pillman thing was disgusting. Oh, 
Good well, gravy. Let's get to that I'm in a couple of years' time. I'm not referring to the Melanie part, but I'm, I mean just the, the actual acknowledgement of a wrestler passing where they had to, you know, I mean, they had to acknowledge it. I mean, yeah, you can acknowledge do, but... it, but don't get the guy's wife on the telly live saying, how are you going to support your family? Come on now. What are we yeah, that's, doing? Uh, that, that, that was not pretty. That was not pretty in the slightest. But that's but the, not, that is not... like the binary opposite of this, which is just ig- literally ignoring it and still... And still selling the guy's action figure. Well, it probably didn't. Occur. I don't want to sound callous here, but it may, it may it may not really have occurred to them to update the commercial or do something different. As as, as eerie as that sounds, it's ninety three was a different time, and it, it didn't be though what they would do now in a similar situation. They would uh, pull the commercial. They would just pull the commercial, wouldn't they? They just go, "We're going to, yeah. we're going to play anything other than this commercial." Oh, they absolutely would. That's that's not even a question. I mean, they took Enzo off the off of a friggin' trailer. They tore, they tore his photo off the side of a. Have you ever seen that? No. There's um on one of the production trailers, they have like photos of the wrestlers, like these full size headshots of them. And after Enzo was fired in January, they peeled his head right off there. So there's just this. Big white space where his head was. Wow. There's an actual, there's an actual photo of it. Someone got a photo of it outside, outside of, a, of a house show. There's big cast. There's Naomi, and there's this big white gap where uh, where somebody's head used to be. Gosh, I mean that's yeah, that's pretty brutal. That's pretty quick, pretty brutal. So they were some cases like that where something extreme happens, a firing, a passing, whatever. They work pretty fast now. Back then, it wasn't a priority, I guess. So, Crush versus Terrific Terry Taylor. Just to lighten this up a little bit. Uh, it's it's basically a squash match, which is kind of sad because Terry Taylor was involved, and he was still, at this stage of his career, still very skilled. I have to say, Crush's music was incomprehensibly badass. One of the greatest theme songs yeah, ever. Yeah, I was a big fan of the music. He hits this effortless press slam that looks really cool, just throws Terry Taylor down. And then we get a phone call, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, jeebus, this is, this but, is uh, alarming. But you, but you see, Tom, it's not really Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, no, 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 no. It is, if you can, if you can believe this, it is Rob Bartlett imitating Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was it? I thought it was the real one. <laughs> I know. I, I was stunned too. It's Vince interviewing Arnold about the President's Council for Fitness because this is this is part of our topical humor that we have to go through. My God, this was this was banal. This was just pointless and banal. <laughs> but it, it amused one person. We hope. That being Vince. Vince had a lovely time listening to it. So we'll skip over this part because this is garbage, and we'll go right to the finish, which is well. First, I, I got to point out where, where Taylor actually knocks Crush down and goes for a cover, and Crush presses him off of him about six feet into the air, as though Taylor hit a landmine. That was that was very very impressive. Crush did look like a beast in parts of this match. Well, wait. He's working with the right guy that can get that out of him, a consummate, a consummate skilled wrestler in Terry Taylor. 
Crush finishes with the Skull Crusher and not, and not the Skull Crushing finale, but at, but the literal grab two guys, two sides of the guy's head, and just squeeze until they give up. Weird finisher that. Like the next person that would use that would be the Great Carly. See what I think they should have done. If you want to get the move over, is remember how Jesse Barr had a glass eye, Jimmy Jack Funk. Yes. You bring him in as a jobber for one appearance. And you have Crush squeezes eyeball out of his head. Now that like would be amazing. <laughs> you would never forget seeing that, especially if you were a kid. Wow, that is so cool. <laughs> why, oh, why can't we go back and do that? <laughs> the Jason Voorhees head crush from Friday 13th Part 3 where the guy's eyeball was squeezed out of his head. That would be sensational. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, you could have I- come up as a, as a heel doing that, like... Can you imagine him facing Hogan on the house show loop? This guy crushed a guy's skull and his eye popped out. And the best part is you never see Jesse Barr again. That, that fans think he's gone. Hogan has to wear like, like special glasses to keep his eyes in during during a, a crush match. <laughs> Instead of the Hulk helmet, it's, it's the Hulk Ray Charles sunglasses or the Hulk goggles. <laughs> the Hulk helmet. Amazing. I have to bring up, before we leave this match... Um, mm-hmm. What Crush was wearing? Um, a lot of day glow. It's the nineties is a funny time, isn't it? Uh, Certainly, because because Crush would have had to wear whilst wearing uh, day glow tights, a multicolored mullet that went down to roughly his shoulder blades. Crush at some <clears throat> point that day looked in a long mirror and went, "Yep, yeah, this is good. This is the look." Off I go. As a kid, I loved Crush because I had I had one of those '90s mullets, although it wasn't as long. I thought his hair looked fantastic, and the, and the whole Dago colors, his orange single, his orange singlet makes me want to eat orange Starburst. <laughs> so it's subliminal. Had they gotten like a a Starburst um, sponsorship, they could have had him wear red one time, yellow the next, pink the, pink after that. The crush brought me by Starburst, and I'm like, "Yeah, get me some Starburst." That's that's so. There you go. So maybe that was it. Maybe that was very special sponsored advertising, or Skittles or whatever. I mean, Jr. would love crush crushing that entity if he was like a if he was the walking Skittle, a Skittle with a mullet who crushes your skull. That's cool. I like that. I just wanted to say that about Crush's outfit before we moved on because I just thought <laughs> it's just a bit of a '90s headache. <laughs> Hey, anytime I can discuss mullet and Starburst, I'm having a good day. So thank you for that, Tom. Hey, always welcome. Now, I should point out that it takes us until this point in the show to get to the meat of why Hulk Hogan is here. Because it just so happens that last week on, on the show, Brutus the Barber Beefcake was violently assaulted in one of the most brutal angles we've seen on WTV in quite some time. That clunk money... to the head with the briefcase sounds awful. Yes, Money Inc. smashed him in the face with the with the Halliburton briefcase, which which was especially devastating because Beefcake had just was coming off of his return match from the parasailing accident that crushed his face in the first place. So apparently they had redone the damage to him, or so it seemed, because there was blood all over the canvas. But it, it takes until until this point in the show to bring that up. Like, yes, Hulk Hogan's back. Hulk Hogan's back! Hulk Hogan's back! To avenge his friend, but Hulk Hogan's back! Because that takes precedent. Obvs. 
Hogan being back is more important than him being back just to save the help avenge his friend's violent injury. I mean, to be fair, Brutus does get quite a bit of a bit of talk time in the in the presence of Hulk Hogan coming up. He does. He he does. He does. But you figured they would have established why Hogan was coming back in the first place. Well, instead of just he's back, he's back, Hulk Hogan's back, and you, know, you kind of want to reinforce that, don't you? Very true, very true. But regardless, Vince McMahon brings out Hulk Hogan and does one of the greatest arm flourishes in the history of Vince McMahon to bring him out. <laughs> in the history of Vince McMahon, arm flourishes. We have some wonderful signs in the crowd, and you can tell which ones are planted because they're the ones that are positive. And I, I, I got to say, you know how in, in later years – they became a lot more stringent about what signs made it into the arena. Yeah, they're very protective in this day and age, especially. Well, 1993, they weren't so kind. Because um, as, as the camera is panning down the aisle for Hogan's big entrance, there is a Hulk homo sign in the crowd. Oh Mike, I didn't <laughs> see this. That's amazing. <laughs> you, you see it for a good, two, oh, second and a half, two seconds. And all of a sudden, when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, <laughs> but so it's out of your mind pretty quickly. Hulk, Hulk gets up to the apron. He points menacingly at Vince, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is set up for the WrestleMania match. But then I remember that how that's not for ten years. <laughs> so they talk about the incident from last week. He thanks God and Jimmy Hart, and he's back. And Vince's face when Hogan says he's back is something else. I have tweeted photos of this already. <laughs> are you, are you at your Twitter this. machine right I now? I love this photo. If you go on to uh, JIH Writing on Twitter, you can see the photo. And it, it just begs for the caption, find someone who looks at you the way Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> if it's the way Vince McMahon looks at Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's the ultimate when you fart and a little bit comes out face. <laughs> Vince is really glaring. In this picture, like gl- almost a bit glazed over. <laughs> it's, it's half glare, half smirk. It's a glurk. He's glurking at Hogan. Vince glurking romantically at Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it is something to behold. In the pantheon of wonderful Vince faces, and there's at least 47 of those in, in, the, in the history of time, this is definitely among the top echelon of them. Because Vince was bug-eyed. He is smirking, but he looks like he's on the verge of being hit with a wrecking ball. It's swinging toward him, and he has no idea what way to jump. It is the ultimate expression. Amazing, amazing. So so Hogan comes out, and what Hogan says is very much what we already know, where Hogan talks about Beefcake's injury, um... And all this stuff, but as Hogan comes out, your what were your first impressions, Justin, of when he'd walked out to the ring? Because I thought, why is he wearing long pants? And wow, he is smaller. <laughs> well, my impression was the crowd in New York was pretty hot for him because he is Hulk Hogan. He's still a star. He, he it's still, I mean, it's not eighties Hulkamania, but he's still. He's still viewed as a conquering hero in a lot of ways, and he's viewed as an icon. So he, he is getting the icon treatment here, which I understand. And yes, he was much, much thinner here. 
But that was just to make him more aerodynamic and, and, and help with his endurance, obviously, obviously. Obviously. But thing is, I think that had Hogan really wanted to come back and really cared about coming back and working uh, WWF in the in the mid nineties, like that look would have fitted in really well with the direction they're going. Like, imagine yeah. if like mid to late eighties Hogan came back, just just jacked to the nines in the ring with a Shawn Michaels. It would have just looked so odd. Like at this point, Hogan's almost slimmed and toned down to the point where he could feasibly be in the ring with anybody. It is a much more much more humanized Hogan, a lot less cartoonish. But I mean, part of Hogan's appeal was the cartoon character side of him. So I, it's, I guess he would have, I guess he would have fit better in a lot of different eras. But I've always had that affinity for old school, three hundred pound Hulkamania Hulk Hogan. So for me, it's kind of a push. It's at this point that Hogan introduces Brutus Beefcake, who is wearing Joey Janela's sunglasses. And he has his nose taped up and his eyes black. And he looks like Uncle Fester with the eye makeup. Yeah, they really went to town with the makeup, didn't they? Yeah, because they're selling the fact that he had a broken nose, despite the fact that when the show ended last week, we were told, he's okay, it's nothing. Now he has a broken nose. Because Dr. Vince last week informed us, don't worry, he's not dead. You can tune in next week. Well, Dr. Vince <laughs> clearly is is an MRI scanner in a suit because he was able just to go, yeah, he's all fine. No worries. He has that cybernetic readout that, that Terminator has. You can just scan people and, and, and figure out what they are and what's going on and all that. Yeah. If, if you told me Vince was a cyborg, I would believe you. Do you know what? I could as well. I could very much, at this point, especially when he was doing that stare into Hogan's eyes, I could believe it. He was reading Hogan. Is he really back? Let's find out. So, but Beefcake comes out and pretty much says exactly the same things that Hogan said. <laughs> Almost yeah, word for word. Because, well, because, Tom, there's no match after this, right? They can kill as much time as possible. <laughs> So yes, the barber does reiterate all, all of Hogan's spiel, and this brings out Jimmy Hart, who introduced as Hogan's new manager. He says that Hogan and BK will be the best tag team of all time. He said this. Oh, the Mega Maniacs, as they call themselves. Which, which is not a bad name. That's a fine name. Because it's like Mega Powers, but, but it's more Hulkamaniac-oriented. It's the... It's the wings to Hogan Savage's Beatles. Yeah, that's a good shout. I like that. Yeah. They are wings yes, to the Beatles. Yes, Beefcake is Linda McCartney. <laughs> after Hogan tried to lust after Yoko Ono. See, it ties in Yoko Ono, Yokozuna. <laughs> he lusts after Yokozuna. Oh, gosh. We're making... That's why Savage getting mad. Restless. <laughs> I thought Savage was mad because he was lusting after Paul Bearer. Or did I have a did I have a mini stroke from the, between the moment we said that and now? And I've got it a bit crossed. Well, can't it be both? Oh God! I'd rather it was just. I'll be honest. Yes, yeah, like I kind of need you. You might be, you're the editor of this show, so you're you're kind of vital. <laughs> Do you know what I like about this point as well? Like the the attention to detail by the new three mega friends, the fact that they have had the time to actually make custom outfits together. Jimmy Hart comes out with a brand new suit on. 
Yes, it is. One of his new Mega Maniacs airbrushed attires, the suit and um, suit jacket and pants, and they're all color coordinated. Although sadly, Beefcake's nose tape was not was not color coordinated. It was still the static white color. They'd fix that in next week or week after when he gets that special head gear or is that at wrestlemania he gets a special head gear that was at wrestlemania because oh, i believe this right okay I, I believe this is hogan's only role appearance for nine years it is isn't it he just pops up here and then that's it then he was the brock lesnar of his time he bloody was um <laughs> so... backstage ring a penthouse for him so hulk hogan is back jimmy hart is the manager of the mega maniacs these are the takeaways from this and Hogan and Beefcake want IRS and DBRC and they want their tag team championships. And Hogan wants to wants the tag team championships and nothing else. Just to beat up the multi-million dollar man. He kept up in Ted's money for some reason. I don't know why. Why did Hogan keep calling Ted DiBiase the multi-million dollar man? Why does Hogan do any of the things that he do- anything that he does? Very peculiar, very peculiar. <laughs> but either way, even so, that's that's the takeaway from this. This new trio, the Mega Maniacs, they're here. There's a weird sign in the crowd that says Hulk Hogan, friend to the end. And, well, uh, well, first, uh, I got a note. First, for, for, first, there was a sign that said Hulk has been, but they cut away from that immediately and went to the friend to the end sign. Here's an observation about Hulk Hogan that might change the way that you look at Hulk Hogan. Okay. In this bit, Hulk Hogan is is teasing, ripping the sh- ripping the top. Yes. Uh, but he wants the crowd to cheer more, and he leans to the ropes and gets the crowd to cheer. And he wants them louder and louder. And when he thinks they're sufficiently loud enough, he r- slowly rips off the shirt to a huge ovation. Do you know who else does that, Justin? Would that be one Vince McMahon? Nope, burlesque dancers. Oh, I, burlesque I dancers who will get the crowd to whoop and cheer and holler before shedding clothes. Hulk Hogan is a burlesque dancer. With a big mustache and a bald head. Big old, I have seen some burlesque dancers with mustaches, though, many moons ago. <laughs> I was going to say, because I brought Vince up there. I misunderstood your question at first. Because oh, Vince God. got... Because Vince got really excited when Hogan would show up. Rip it off! <laughs> Rip off the clothes! Uh, Vince, again, is is your standard customer of a burlesque show. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to see Vince at a strip club. There's probably see how... video. I, I hope there is. I hope it's not locked in some vault somewhere. It's I gotta in a cloud this. somewhere. It's in an iCloud somewhere. <laughs> So at this point, so, like the, the the show is like that bit's done, and I'm thinking, oh, there's about a minute left. We'll probably find out what's happening next on Raw, next week on Raw, and then the Undertaker comes out. I'm like, oh gosh, we've got an Undertaker match against Skinner, and my first thought was, wow, Skinner doesn't stand a chance here. Skin. <laughs> so this, this is what happens. We come back from a commercial. Tigger makes his entrance. We go we go to break again. Right? Or do we? I can't remember what the order is here. There's a short break, Undertaker versus Skinner, and they show 20 seconds of action. And then they work in the Slim Jim ad. The old savage, chips! Snap into a Slim Jim, ooh, yeah! We, we come back to the match, and Skinner is kicking Undertaker's ass. Like, proper battering him. <laughs> yes. 
And, and there's a spot which scared the hell out of me. Taker's on the floor. Skinner goes to the apron. He jumps up and tries to piggyback the Undertaker, and Taker flops headfirst into the guardrail. Apparently unaware that Steve Kern was going to be jumping on him at that moment. It looked really ugly. It was horrible. And then Soda backs off. As, <laughs> and then suddenly the title card comes up in the corner and Raw's finished. Yeah, we'll find out what happens in this match next week on Raw. Skidder dominates The Undertaker. The next person to dominate The Undertaker like that was probably Brock Lesnar. Yeah, what do we know? Because Taker got an offense on Brock. Taker didn't hit Skinner with crap on this show. Maybe Great Carly then. Yes, Skinner was the Great Carly of his time. My God, Skinner! Well, this this is a moment in time where Skinner destroys the Undertaker at the end of Raw. If Skinner had faced Taker at WrestleMania 30, not only would the streak be over, it would have been over in two minutes. I think Skinner should have faced Undertaker at WrestleMania 9 myself. After My this. client Skinner conquered <laughs> the Undertaker streak at WrestleMania 30. The reigning, defending, conquering beast, Skinner. The conqueror of the crocodiles. The crocker. The crocker. Thank you very much. I'm here always. Skinner, Skinner Lesnar. Oh, man. So well done, Skinner, who, who on this most epic night of Monday Night Raw, which sees the return of Hulk Hogan, the last thing we think about is Skinner. Yes, Skinner stole the show. What he a guy. What out. a boy. He pulled the rug out from under Hulkamania's big return, and and long may that reign. I'm sure. I'm sure when we watch the match next week, Skinner just easily pins the Undertaker, and all and then, is well. And then goes on to knock out Randy Couture to become UFC heavyweight champion. All serious though. All seriousness though. How raging would the Undertaker, Mark Calloway, have been backstage? Because this has obviously happened because the Hogan Beefcake heart bit has run over. Mm-hmm. He must have been foaming backstage. Not just that, but you think they would have told him, okay, go out there, have Skinner run at you, choke slam him, tombstone him, and that'll be it. You beat him in 45 seconds. Why are they having an actual match? But they start having a proper match. Obviously, Vince McMahon, being a commentary, couldn't really deliver that, for whatever reason, couldn't get that information across to The Undertaker in time. So they just proceeded to have the match that they planned out. Someone should ask Bruce Pritchard how this happened, if, if he even remembers. It's like where him and Monsoon are like, like, like playing cards at the gorilla position, and they just realize, oh, crap, it's 9.59. There must be. Uh, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I want to tweet Bruce Pritchard about that and see whether he knows a, anything about it. Because that's just a bizarre ending to roll. There is a match coming up in the next few weeks that, that ends during commercial break, but I'll say no more. But who have we got next week? We've got a match next week, haven't we? Isn't it Bret Hart versus one of the head shrinkers? That's it. That was as that's basically what Vince hollers as they are cutting away for the final time. <laughs> it could be Alpha. We don't know. So I've got time to find out. Okay, bye. That's <laughs> uh, one of me. It's uh, it's the fat one. <laughs> and that's Raw. That's Raw for this week. Uh, what'd you make of it, Justin? Strange, strange show. Just a bizarre, bizarre <laughs> night of action. I mean. I like the six-man tag. It had, had, had a couple cool squashes on it. But man, was the Hogan stuff just... It was more unintentionally funny than it should have been. 
Agreed. It was a lot of apology initially, and then far too much story, and then a couple of fun cutaways to hilarious signs that shows not everybody was a uh, was a true believer in Hulkamania. No, not quite. Although I will say on next week's show that um, if you, if you find Rob Bartlett irksome now, wait until we get the next week's show. Oh no, is he worse? Um. Yes. Oh, God. But that'll do it for this one, uh, for this Cultaholic Classic Raw review. Uh, I've been at Tom Campbell. Uh, Justin's been at J.R.H. Writing. Let's do this again next week, shall we? Yes, we shall. And if Rob Bartlett does not drive us away, remember, it's only about five or six more shows with him, maybe seven. We can get through this. Knuckle down, clench your fists, and join us. We'll see you next week. Love you, bye! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.